When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? We are so excited to launch our new show, Health Theory. While mindset is absolutely critical to personal growth, your mindset will never improve until your health does. I'm telling you, the mind and the body are so connected, it's freaky. So we're going to be diving into topics such as the microbiome, ketogenics, sleep, and more. It's going to be available for download starting March 7th. Come check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I am joined with the recently returned Agent Smith, <laughs> who is Bilyeu. now back in town. I'm back. Dude, it's good to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Super excited. It's one of those things where, man, you know how you feel about somebody when they walk in the door and it's unexpected. I literally, I, I didn't know I you were coming you. back today, <laughs> and I just saw you from behind. I was like... <gasps> Cheers, back. I had like such a warm feeling. I was like, well, that's a good that's sign. That's very sweet. Very sweet. No, yes. it's, it's great to be back. It's great to be on After Impact. Yeah. The show. Do you, do you know what Where the show is? Where we unpack the, the impact. impact. Yes. There it is. In this week's episode of Impact Theory with Bob Hariri. Yes. Um, this one's cool. Really, I think kind of a different episode for us in terms of the content, um, what you guys were talking about. Very fascinating stuff. Mm. Way way above my went way over my head most of it. So, <laughs> the funny thing is so the episode is like just under 40 minutes and we filmed for 60 but it was like 20 of those minutes were like so intense yeah. like science and stuff yeah that we thought yeah for just like clarity of what most people are here for we had to we had to trim it back a little but but definitely important stuff uh based on what you guys were saying and the context you provided and before we go into that though i want to know like, can you give us a little bit of backstory on Abundance 360, why you were there, what, anything sure. that you learned that came out of the conference that was super interesting to you? Yeah, so Abundance 360 is Peter Diamandis, the founder of the XPRIZE, and 19 other companies, um, including Planetary Resources, which mines asteroids, Human Longevity, Inc., which was also co-founded with um, Bob Hariri. Mm -hmm. um, he basically made a promise to all the CEOs out there that for the next 25 years, starting, I think this was year four or five, um, that he would hold a symposium where he helped people understand what future is coming, where the technology is going so that they can steer their businesses um, in a way that takes advantage of what's happening technologically. Because he believes that we're living in an exponential world where technology, once it goes out of what he calls the deceptive phase into the disruptive phase, because so exponentials, just to give people a quick background, um, if I take 30 linear steps, I end up 30 meters away. If I take 30 exponential steps, I end up a billion meters away. So it's something like 36 times around the earth or some crazy shit like that. So it's just people don't know how to judge how rapidly change happens because what they look at is 0.1 goes to 0.2 goes to 0.4 and they're like, oh man, that's bullshit. Nothing's yeah. happening, right? And then all of a sudden you realize that I think from one to a million is only seven doublings. It's something crazy like that. Yeah. So it's like once, once you get to like a certain point, like then it's just, it's crazy how fast that rate of change happens. So um, that's Peter's 25-year promise. 
And so you get 360 CEOs that come together and they meet and the world's foremost thinkers um, in anything having to do with technology and exponential change come and talk. Um, and, and we've had future guests. Um, so at the time we filmed, Brian Johnson was a future guest and he was one of the most interesting speakers there. Um, and he deals in human um, computer brain interfaces. Mm -hmm. So really fascinating. And then um, we have, you know, post guests and we've got people like Bob Hariri, um, who we had the chance to film there, had wanted him on the show for a very long time. I actually, um, we flirted in a business way back when I was at Quest, and so that's how I got to know him. Okay. Um, and then have just stayed in contact now for years. Um, but yeah, so that's Abundance 360, absolutely incredible. I've spoken there before, and this year I was doing um, some hosting duties, so interviewing people backstage for mm -hmm. their live community. It's really Did cool. anything come out of that conference that just really like gave you pause or made you step back and think, wow, like things are about to change. It's going to get super interesting. Yeah. And that, so being there always really blows my hair back from what's the state, even just from year to year, how rapidly things change. So, um, what's going on in, in brain computer interfaces is the thing that has me most excited, which is why I'm so eager to get Brian Johnson on the show and watch that episode when it comes out, it's probably, I don't know, two or three weeks away. Um, he announces something on the show, something new that he's thinking about that really, really is incredible. And this is a guy that's dedicated $200 million to bringing um, technological advances to human longevity and um, computer and human interfaces. So it is, dude, when this guy talks, listen. And what he announces in the show is, is pretty insane. Wow. So I'm really, yeah, really excited about that. I wasn't here for that one, so I can't, <laughs> wait to, can't wait to see it. Yes. All right, let's talk about Bob. So the when I just Bob? watched, yeah, sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> when I just watched this episode, one of the things that jumped out at me was how similarly you guys think. Mm. Um, so just a couple of things. So he, with his companies, has been focused on um, solving big problems that change the world, and then also bringing value. So having a monetary vehicle that brings value to the people who are in the company. Um, so it's not just you know a nonprofit. He's, he says that he, at the end of the episode, um, he's not afraid to look stupid, and he also doesn't quit when he fails. And then there was a third thing. It's somewhere in my notes here. But I was like, wow, you guys, I can see why you get along. And so I wanted to hear a little bit more about the backstory, and you mentioned how you, how you knew Bob, but just like, what is it like when you guys get together and talk, and what are you usually going over? So hanging out with him is amazing. And I have to say one of the, one of the most incredible things about achieving a certain level of success is that it acts as a filtering mechanism for other successful people. When they, they look at the landscape of potentially amazing people that they could get to know, like at some point you need a heuristic, right? You need sure. some rule of thumb and it's like, okay, well this guy has built this business or had that exit or whatever. And sure. so it's like, oh, okay, cool. Introduce me to him. So I got introduced to him by Peter Diamandis. So Peter comes on the show when we originally created it, um, comes on, has a great time, says it's the best media experience he's ever had. And literally in the middle of the episode, he stops and says, I just want to thank you for honoring me. So like, he was like, the amount of research he's done is incredible. So literally we wrap the episode. He calls Bob, like I think in the car leaving from that. And he was like, you have to meet this guy, Tom. 
And so Bob, because at the time he was really focused on this company called Myos, which was about muscle um, growth. And he said, you know, I want to talk to you and what you guys are doing at Quest. And we were getting so involved in like cancer research. And that's where he had his biggest wins um, as a, a creator and as an entrepreneur is in um, battling cancer. Mm. And so there was just a lot of synergy there. And so we got together and I mean, you talk like, God, was it the day that I met Bob? I think it was. The day that I met Bob, I'm with Peter, Bob Hariri, and, um, oh God, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. The guy, Craig Venter, the guy that decoded the human genome. Oh. So I'm like, this is the <laughs> single most surreal meeting of my life. Wow. I'm like, this is just fucking bizarre. And we're talking about like, what's the future of health and where is all this going? And what does human longevity really look like? Because the reason Craig was there is Peter, Bob, and Craig are the three founders of Human Longevity, Inc. And so I've been obviously been talking about living forever for a long time. And so it was like that company is actually going about trying to make sure that people actually can live forever. So it around that, like where's, um, you know, where are cellular therapies going? And now that's obviously what Bob has spun out into a mm -hmm. separate company. But mm -hmm. at the time, this was a few years ago, at the time, just like talking about the state of that science and stuff like that. And so it, it usually conversations like that, they don't stay in the sort of abstract for long. They get really specific. And so giving you, it's like the 20 minutes of stuff that we cut out because the average person would be like, right, what? Like, right. why am I listening to this? Yeah. So it's like, but it's so fucking fascinating. Like if you're just, if you ever meet somebody, there's a reason that the first question I ask a stranger is often, what is your deepest passion? Because even when it's something you don't care about, hearing somebody talk about something with that level of passion and enthusiasm and knowledge, it's really interesting if you like learning about stuff. And so talking to Bob about anything, it's like he's just going to go way in. He's going to go deep. And because we share such a passion for um, humans, where we're going from a biological perspective, how we take advantage of things like CRISPR-Cas9 and stuff, it's just fucking fascinating. Super cool. So he is clearly someone who is an exponential thinker. Um, what's the best way to get started? Or sorry, let me rephrase the question. What's, what's the best way to start getting better at thinking bigger? Well, especially because you're talking about exponential thinking, I would say the first thing to do is read Peter Diamandis's book, Bold, mm -hmm. which, so the reason that I became obsessed with Peter was I read Abundance and Bold, and Abundance was his book. Basically, the punchline is the future is brighter than you think. Mm -hmm. And then Bold was you need to think bigger, and here's why. And that book really makes it clear, like the difference between linear thinking and exponential thinking, the fact that we live in an exponential world and that you do need to start thinking bigger. So going, like getting an understanding for what's really going on in the world, why we, um, as linear thinkers, why we evolved to be linear thinkers, first of all, and now why living in an exponential world, why you have to learn to think that way, um, I think is the perfect foundation. And so I'm working on my book right now, as you well know. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I realized for me, everything's, everything comes back to, can you visualize it? Do you understand why it is this way? Like when you have an emotion, do you understand why you have an emotion? Like understanding why humans have an emotion and why certain emotions are so like just intense. Once I understand that and I can visualize that process, I can get control of it. So once you understand why you're a linear thinker, once you understand why thinking in an exponential way thinking bigger, thinking bolder, why it matters, 
that that helped me really get my arms around it. So I would start with that. That certainly was wildly influential for me. Awesome. Um, another thing that Bob is really good at is um, systems thinking, and he thinking like an engineer. Exactly. Says, yeah. yeah. So what, like, it seemed like you were very much in agreement with that style, that approach in business. And so I wanted to ask you, like, how do you think about systems thinking, and what does it mean to you? So I I am terrible at really thinking like an, uh, an engineer. That is not how my mind works. But like I was saying, once I can visualize a process, once I understand the constituent parts, um, then it, it's really empowering. It does not come to me naturally. And so I always have to like break things down and like take self-awareness. So becoming more self-aware, people will tell you that you, you're either born with it or you're not. And I just really, really believe, even though it doesn't come instinctually to me, that everything can be broken down into its fundamental parts, the sequence, the engineering of it all, mm -hmm. right? Like how and why does this work at a biological level or a biomechanical level? And once I understand that, then it's like you can really get a hold of the process. So we'll take, for instance, um, becoming more self-aware. So to me, step one is recognizing that physiologically you're in the grips of something atypical. So whether that's passion, whether that's anger, fury, like whatever it is, insecurity, recognize how that expresses physiologically. So when you're enraged, your heart rate speeds up, your breathing becomes more rapid, your face becomes flush, you feel a sense of heat as the blood is going to your muscle groups, that your cortisol levels spike, your adrenaline is rising. Okay, all of these things have a telltale physiological sign that represent as feeling. You can literally perceive them. So if you can get good at perceiving that, recognizing that it's happening. So, okay, I feel these things. What do they mean? Oh, I'm enraged. How interesting. And then you can ask, why am I enraged? And immediately you'll go to a surface level. That guy bumped into me. They stole something. They slapped my wife, whatever. Then you can ask, okay, well, why is that troubling? Once you get to, oh, it triggers an insecurity or territoriality or protection or whatever the mechanism is that it's triggering at a deep sort of limbic emotional level, mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, I recognize what's happening and I can either address it or give into it. When you, like, if you take those steps, then you really gain control of your life. In this specific example, you're getting control of your emotions, which, which I think is incredibly important. Now, to me, it's like, if you can break down emotions as having an engineering, biological, biomechanical reason, then it's like, you can preempt that. So, or you can take control of it. So take what Bob's doing in, in everything from cellularity to his cancer companies. It's like, what's going on at a bio mechanical, biochemical um, level so that we can understand, like, do you know what CRISPR-Cas9 is? And I'm, that's no. not rhetorical for real. So, okay, CRISPR-Cas9 is looking at bacteria the way they fuck up viruses. So bacteria have this like really primitive, what I'll call, and we are outside of my realm of what I really understand. So just like bear with me, but this is, this is directionally accurate enough that if you're not fucking fascinated by this, check for a pulse. So <laughs> bacteria, they have a primitive immune system because they're really um, simplistic creatures. So how do they, without the kind of immune system that we have, which creates antibodies and all that, how do they protect themselves from viruses which would otherwise come and take them over? So what they do is they memorize fucking DNA sequences, strands of DNA present in the virus so that then... What they do is they send out, I don't, this is the, the CRISPR-Cas9 part of it. I don't know what the fuck it is exactly at, a, at a, um, a biological level, but they send out this thing and it cuts, it looks for, so it's, it is like basically it's memorized a, a, 
uh, what's it, TCGA? Oh, God. Like, whatever the four letters of DNA are. <laughs> I'm, like, really fucking people up right now. But there are four le letters in, in um, DNA, and they go and they look for them in a certain sequence. When they find them, they cut that shit out and um, either replace it with something else or glue it back together, whatever that process looks like. And so you could go in, for instance, you recognize HIV, which inserts itself into our DNA. That's how, why it's so fucking freaky. You cut it out, you replace it with either just like random letters or you glue it back together. And now fucking the, the HIV in the cell is gone, dude. It is actually gone. Whoa. So that's how CRISPR-Cas9 works, is it's trying to protect the bacteria from the virus. But... You can, because the mechanism by which it works is to recognize those letters, cut that shit out, and put something in its place, like, you could tell it to check for anything. So, you ready? So, that's like a biotechnology, yes. essentially. Okay. Now, th this shit is real. And by the way, I've totally forgotten why you asked me this question, but <laughs> you'll have to bring me back. <laughs> I'll bring you back. But I'm I'll just gonna, gonna finish. You could take, um, you read a jellyfish for bioluminescence. Okay, here's the sequence that does bioluminescence. Awesome. I'm going to go into um, the sequence, the part of a cat's DNA for fur coloring, and I'm going to insert fucking bioluminescence. They, they really do this shit. You can do the same thing with, um, this is a spider, the tensile strength of spider's web, and go put it in goat's milk. Also fucking real. So you can get a goat to spin um, basically web in its, uh, you can essentially milk it from the goat. It's fucking crazy. Dude. What? Yes, dude. This is all <laughs> shit that is happening right now. It is so fucking crazy. But this is why Mind people blown. are literally terrified of where this goes because you could go hey let's take the airborne nature of a common cold and the fucking um like devastating uh terminality of ebola and put them together and create airborne ebola that that's why people are like this is fucking scary it's amazing and scary all at the same time now bring us back why did you ask? we're talking about systems thinking <laughs> <laughs> so once you understand like at a systems biomechanical level, what CRISPR-Cas9 is actually doing, then you ask the right questions. Well, what if we go in and cut out HIV? What if we go in and edit somebody who has um, Parkinson's disease and can we change that part of their DNA? Suddenly, all of the, the promise of having sequenced the human genome, once you understand the parts of the genome you'd have to edit and change, like you can do that. But first you have to approach the problem from a systems perspective. You have to know the questions to ask. And now you know the scaffolding, the way that it works, and you can go in and adjust it any way you want. Fascinating. Dude, that's why, like I wish that my mind naturally went to that shit. I'm reading, so we have Michio Kaku is coming up with the show. Mm -hmm. Fucking freaking out. I would go hug yeah. Christopher right now if he was next to me. Freaking out too. Um, the fact that he got him down. And so I'm reading his most recent book, which is about the future of humanity. And you see that same systems thinking. So you've got this super bright kid in, this is Michio Kaku. When he was in high school, he wanted to photograph antimatter. But you can do that once you know the way things work and when you know what antimatter actually is. And so he took, uh, I think it's called sodium 22 and put it in a, oh God, a cloud, a, anyway, a cloud trap. I forget the name of it, but something where you could actually see the movements, the, the way that antimatter kicks off um, negatively charged electrons, if I remember right. I'll know by the time I interview him. Um, you can actually see it in these like these clouds. And so he would put the antimatter in and he could photograph it, but only because he understands how it works. And once you understand how it works, that's how you make these crazy rocket ships and things that people can't imagine now because you just, you get down to like the nature of it. Mm -hmm. So thinking in systems anyway, God, that was a long way of saying, can, but can you feel how excited I am? Yeah. Like when you can think like that, you can fucking literally mess with the, the, the building blocks of 
the universe. Yeah, definitely. And everything that you're talking about makes leads into my next question, which is around human longevity. And by the way, to answer one of your earlier questions, that tangent that I just went on, if you want to know what Bob and I by ourselves are like, it's like that. It's two <laughs> people fucking like totally spazzing out over really fun shit. Well, the thing I want to get into is, is around human uh, longevity and, and living forever. Because you guys, you guys touched on it in the episode, but you didn't really get a chance to talk about it. And I know Bob kind of said living, thinking about living forever scares him a little bit. He didn't, I'm so surprised he didn't really get a chance to elaborate on that. So why are you surprised? How are you thinking about living forever in a real sense? Because I know you say it and you believe it, but you also say it sort of tongue in cheek. I, I don't say it tongue in cheek. So here's, here's the reality. It, it is that I fully accept that in today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. Right now, people don't live forever. Mm -hmm. And so right now, I am on a one-way path to dying. Yep. And I'm, I'm aware of the truth of that reality. But I'm also aware that what Bob referred to in the episode as longevity escape velocity, it will happen, dude. It is not a question of if. It really isn't a question of if. And so I'll borrow from um, Elon Musk, and he said, okay, in terms of do we live in a simulation or not? And he said, if you will grant that our ability to simulate environments, like in a video game or VR, has any rate of progress whatsoever, then whether that timeline is 10 years or 10,000 years, depending on what rate of progress you assign it, we will eventually be able to replicate 100% accurately a, an entire environment, what it means to be alive, consciousness, the experience, the physics, the tactile nature, all of it. You'll be able to replicate it. And the, it's, that logic is unassailable. And so we only don't get to a true virtual representation if you assign it no progress at all. And that just would be to defy everything that we see around us. It, would, it literally wouldn't make sense. So the same to me is true for human longevity. If you give our, our ability to extend human life 
any rate of progress whatsoever, whether it's 10 years or 10,000 years, we do hit longevity escape velocity, where we are able to, as Bob explained, live forever by replacing parts. Now, it is already feasible, one of the things coming out of Abundance 360, to print, um, right now they print on scaffolding. So you can print human tissue on scaffolding. So if you take a heart, like a pig heart or whatever, and you um, layer by layer remove all the muscle tissue and you get down to just the remaining collagen scaffolding, you can print fucking muscle tissue on it and get it to beat. They've already fucking done this, dude, with mice hearts, okay? They they've boil it down to the collagen structure. They then... 3D fucking print the muscle tissue back onto the collagen structure and they got it to beat. I don't understand how they get it to beat though from the- You like hit it just like uh, you get somebody who's it. died, yeah. You so literally their heart has stopped beating. And for whatever reason, the muscles in the heart like have a, uh, we're outside of what I really understand, so bear with me. But it's like, it's memorized uh, a rhythm. And so once you get it going, by oh god i'm really this one's really bad now i'm just fucking you all up <laughs> but there's something in the way that it it contracts it if you get it going then it stays going and it's not until disease or dysfunction takes it away that it, it stops doing that and so like um arrhythmias and things or when you get out of that which is why you put a pacemaker and then yeah. the pacemaker sends that electrical impulse so anyway the, if you can get the heart going it will keep going um so yeah, they, they get it to be, and there's, you can find footage of this online. It's we'll, fucking We'll find crazy. something and drop it in the comment or in the description. It's, Amazing. Yeah. Cause it's absolute insanity. Um, so God, this is twice now you're touching on things I find so exciting that I just totally get lost uh, in those things. Living forever. Yeah. Living forever. So, um, if you assign it any rate of progression whatsoever, we will hit it. Now, when he said he was scared, he actually did elaborate on it, which was, he feels like, um, he moves so fast that he can feel sort of this looming exhaustion as he mm -hmm. gets older. Mm -hmm. And he said, one, like the looming exhaustion, while he didn't say this, I think unnerves him because I'm sure like his whole life, he's just gone, gone, gone. Like he's a really high energy dude. And so I'm sure that sense of like, oh God, how many more big companies do I really have? Because when this guy does a company, it's, it's measured in like the billions. I think his last company was hundreds of billions of dollars. I was fucking bananas. And so he's thinking like, oh, God, this takes a lot of energy. I don't know how many more of these I have in me. Yeah. But at the same time, he's like, it's probably a good thing that I fear that if I don't move fast, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So he's got these like dueling things where it's like, I can't do this forever, man. I'm fatiguing. But he's not thinking right because fatiguing is, is a question of just optimizing your body and hormonal states. And if he let me hit him with, a gaggle of cc's of testosterone he'd feel ready to go <laughs> human growth hormone little testosterone like he'd be fucking ready to go and or maybe just like let's just straight give him some cocaine like there are things <laughs> you could do from a pure uh, pharmacological perspective that would make that sense of fatigue go away and if you could do it at the root level and not just like you know drug exogenous drugs which will mm -hmm. fuck you up like if you could really get the body back in the rhythm to be at um, uh, like ATP production level, get your mitochondria functioning just like crazy good, optimize your hormonal levels, which I'm assuming at some rate of progress that we're gonna be able to do, that gets rid of that fatigue syndrome. Then it becomes, well, do you need death breathing down your neck in order to move quickly? I don't. Like that, when I say that death does not fucking factor in to my thinking at all, which is one of the reasons that I cultivate the sense that I might live forever, because to me, and, and I talk about this in, in the episode, 
read this book called Einstein's Dreams when I was like 14. And it, a whole bunch of short stories about what would the, what's the nature of time. And one of the stories is, what if we all live forever? Everybody was immortal. And it, it um, hypothesizes that the world would bifurcate into two types of people. People that never do anything, so there's always time to do it tomorrow, so there's no rush. And then people that do everything as fast as they can because there's enough time to do all the things that you're passionate about. And when I read that, I was like, that is so me. Like, things excite me so much. You don't have to push me. Like, I just get fucking amped. Like, just did this trip to New York. Dude, it was amazing. I wasn't able to capture this morning how fucking on fire I was. Some of the best two days of the last year of my life. Just fucking incredible. And it was just a guy punching me in the teeth over and over and over. (laughs) But it was like, this is going to speed me up. Like, I was so fucking on fire. It was just incredible. And so, because I'm excitable like that, because things amp me up, and... I know how to fan those flames because I want people to understand you can craft that into your life, but I know how to do that. I know how to embody it so that it revs up and it builds over time that thinking about living forever is how I get myself to move fast because I think, fuck, if I do this and I get to that, then I can go to this step and then this step and then this step. And because each of those is so compelling to me, it just pushes me. And any fatigue that I might feel, like when I think about if I were given a terminal diagnosis today, my life would change so dramatically because I would slow down. Because I would not, like, dude, what good does legacy do me? I'm going to be dead. So there's, there is only then the, what I call the momentary happinesses. There are the pleasures of right now. Wait, you would slow down because you would realize you wouldn't have enough time to build what you want to build? Correct. Hmm. So the things that I want to build take so much time that I would immediately shift into, I would literally shut the company down and I would hang out with Lisa. Nothing brings me more momentary pleasure than being where we get into the, the only way that I can explain it. I read a book once and in the book, it said this alien was saying, oh, I come from this planet where we, it was like their tails. We entwine our tails and we just, we know each other completely. I know every thought you've ever had, every feeling, every trauma, every joy in an instant. I know everything. And that sense of like coupling is, I get that with Lisa in as close as two human beings can get. And that is so fucking intoxicating for me that if I didn't have to worry about long-term fulfillment, then I would just lock in on that. And I would just like spend my time like in that little cocoon with her. Would you do something creative? Like, would you do a creative project? I would keep doing the videos, I think, because, so I resent doing the book, which the ghostwriter that I'm working with, it broke my heart because she actually listened to one of these things where I went on a tirade about how much the book annoys me and she thought it had something to do with her. And I'm like, no, 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 you're fucking amazing. (laughs) It, it's purely that in, in these, I can embody the emotion. I can experience it. I can go through it. Like as I'm saying things that excite me, I'm actually getting excited and I'm putting ideas together and I, I speak not so that I can be understood, but so I can understand. So for, so doing these things for me is, is freakishly rewarding in and of itself. Writing the book is just fucking painful. It is facing my inadequacies at every turn. It is trying to like take all these ideas that to me are like self-evident and then break them down into a way that people can understand. It is so, it's going into systems thinking. It's, mm-hmm. it's just not effortless for me. It is yeah. so fucking effortful that it's like, oh God. So I wouldn't do a book, which is purely like, it's just, it's exhausting. It's not fun in the moment, but doing these is fun. So yeah, I, I everything would change for me. 
Interesting. Um, one of the things, sort of the second half of the episode, you guys talk a lot more about building businesses, um, building the, the right team. Um, one of the things that Bob touches on is uh, loyalty. And he both says that you need to surround yourself with people who are going to challenge you, and then you need to surround yourself with people who are extremely loyal. And I think that it's easy to potentially worry about that if you're getting a lot of loyal people together, are they all going to kind of, is it going to turn into groupthink, right? So how do you sort of navigate those two things? Dude, it, it is all principles all the time. Like no one has summed up what is required like Ray Dalio. And we talk about it in the episode. To me, shifting from I'm right to how do I know I'm right is everything. And if you get everyone in the group to buy into that and you create an environment where people aren't afraid to speak up and you create an environment where people know that criticisms can come from the bottom, they can come from the top, sideways, doesn't matter. Like everybody should be willing to voice their opinion and that everyone in the group knows that this is all about waiting a decision based on believability because there's nothing more exhausting than feeling like you have to hear everyone out on every fucking dumb idea that they have. When it's in reality, it's, it, it, yeah. A, it's not efficient and B, it, maybe this is just me. It is absolute fucking torture, largely because it's not efficient. And it's like, if I don't know what I'm talking about, like no one should feel compelled to like, oh, thank you so much. And like all of that, it should be, I'm listening for your logic, not your answer. Cool. Your logic is sound awesome. Then you've presented logic that is useful. It doesn't matter what your expertise is. If on the other hand, I'm listening to your logic and from my vantage point of having done this, I know your logic is totally fucked. I'm just going to say that doesn't make any sense and move on. Right? Mm -hmm. So you're not being a dick, nothing. It's just everybody in the group goes, either I have believability or I don't. I want you to hear my thinking rather than my answer. It's just, that's so freeing to me. And that's freeing from the position of, as the CEO, I'm opening it up from everyone just has to do what I say because I pay their salary to I want people to challenge me. So that like when you hunger for the result far more than you hunger for the power, everything in your life will change. And so I think that that is the only way to keep people from falling into groupthink is you've got to just make it such a core tenant of the culture that the result is all that matters. That's it. It doesn't matter who has the idea. It only matters, does the idea work? Does it mm -hmm. actually take you where you want to go, yes or no? And if it does, you fucking do it. And if it doesn't, you don't. Cool. Uh, one more question, then we'll wrap up. Uh, you sort of touched on this already, and it may have been in your answer about um, how do I know I'm right? So walking the line between having confidence, enough confidence in yourself and your ideas to believe you can win and then also being open to alternative ideas and other people coming in and, and not becoming dogmatic, as you talked about. How do you walk, this, walk that line? It, it is the only way that I can explain it is when your sense of self, your identity, your ego, neurochemically is tied to being right, being smart, being worthy, being good, you are fucked, dude, in a way that I can't explain. Once you shift it to my sense of identity, my pride, my ego, neurochemically, meaning you're getting a reward, it feels good from identifying the right answer, being the learner, getting the result. Like if there's something that you want in the result, all of a sudden, 
there's no incongruity between learning that you're wrong. Like, okay, I I'm talking to Jared now. I want to invite you into my soul because this is the future of our company. When I was in this meeting in New York, there were two members of Impact Theory, me and one other person. Mm -hmm. One of us walked out of the same meeting wondering if I was going to be scared because mm -hmm. what they heard scared them, obviously, so mm -hmm. they just assumed that it would scare me. And then the other person, me, was legitimately giddy. I, I almost laughed at one point in the meeting because I was so excited by how many potential, like I, I was just thinking, oh, this is going to work, this is going to work, and this is going to work. And just through his logic, he showed me why that won't work, that won't work, that won't work, that won't work. And I was like, oh my God. There, wa there wasn't even like I had to miss a beat of, oh, like, oh, I'm wrong and that stings. It was like, I give a shit about pulling people out of the matrix, right? So now working backwards, my current belief about the path is film, TV, and before that comics so that I can fuck up a lot um, really inexpensively and fail, fail, fail until I find what really resonates with people. So he showed me how a bunch of the things that I thought I was gonna have to try, he just like removed them as options. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this is so fucking amazing because now I don't have to waste my time with those. I could so clearly see his logic and it was like, a fool never learns, a smart man learns from his mistakes, and a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And in that meeting, he, I realized I'm going to be wise. I've totally bought into his answers. I totally get it. He's able to help me see. And I thought, wow, like this is so fucking powerful. And so when you can do that, like all of a sudden, all those other, other things, they just fucking go away. Mm -hmm. But it comes from, you've got to get to the point where neurochemi neurochemically, there's no bullshit in that neurochemically you're excited when someone shows you how you're wrong because all you can see like a bright and shining light from heaven is now I have a chance to be right. But you don't have that chance until someone can show you how you're wrong. So most everybody, and I spent decades of my life there, most everybody lives their life in the neurochemistry of being right being smart, being good, and being worthy. It's a trap, man. It is such a trap. Because then like, you have to go through this whole like, terrifying process of somebody's pointing out that you're wrong and all you're thinking is, I have to go eat crow. I have to go tell people that I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And I will abstract this a little bit. Somebody that I met recently was telling this story. They were very successful. And they were telling this story about how they were wrong about something. And when the other person was proven right, that they went and had a cake baked with a crow on it so that they could literally eat crow. And I thought, that just told me so much about how you treated the people when you told them that they were wrong. Because he obviously must have just said like, guys, this is stupid, it's never going to work, like I can't believe you wanna do this, I'm gonna give you enough rope to hang yourself, I'll things like that. And I thought, wow, like, how did you get where you got when you feel like you're eating crow? Instead of creating a culture where you're like, dude, we're all going to be wrong. Like, let's just assume that our mm -hmm. thinking is totally fucked way off the mark, and that we've got to help each other to like trial and error this using logic to like figure out based on believability weighted shit, like where we should go. Like, I wouldn't even think to bake a cake 
because I'd be like, am I wrong? Because if I'm wrong, I want somebody to tell me, right? Yeah. I think I'm right. Here's what I think. Boom, I'm laying it out. Follow my logic. Do you agree with my logic? Yes or no? I'll take them step by step. If they can convince me, I'm open to being convinced. But like, it just wouldn't occur to me to think of it as eating crow anymore. It would have for decades. But once you get to the other side of that, dude, it is a different world. And I think like uh, this really resonated with me, but Ray Dalio talks about um, getting that bird's eye view and going above the situation and kind of trying to see it from an objective standpoint. I think that's helpful for me in thinking about like, it's not about the individual. It's not about being right or wrong. It's just about the mission and about solving the problem collectively. And now imagine that that mission lights you on fire so much that people don't want to talk to you at parties because you're just going to bring it back to that fucking mission. Like when you find that thing, and this is why, so in the book, one of the chapters is about set your goals from a place of passion or don't even start. Because when you have that, when you're so fucking amped at the thought of like accomplishing your mission, like when I think about winning an Academy Award, it's kind of cool. And that's a lot. It's fucking cool. That would be amazing. I would love that. It's not enough for me to risk my wealth. When I think about pulling people out of the matrix, and I think about the people who already write me. Like, did I tell you this? I don't think you were here. So Lisa and I were in Vegas. And a 51-year-old man stopped me. Literally. He looked at me. And it was one of those where I didn't know if we were about to fight or what. But he was talking to somebody. And he caught my eye as I was walking by. He literally moved past the person he was talking to, stepped right in front of me. And he's like, you're Tom. And I was like, hey, man. It's <laughs> nice to meet. I don't know if we're, like, we're about to fight. And he was like, he started crying. And he was like, you've changed my life. And he was like, I just went through a really dark period in my life. And your videos helped me through that. And dude, even now retelling this story, I'm getting emotional. That, to help people like that at scale, that I'll risk my fortune for. So that, like, when you have something like that, that is the guiding light, everything else, it's just easy to let, to remind yourself it's not about the person, it's about the mission. Amazing. And with that, I think we'll close it out for today on After Impact. All right. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. This, this was a lot of fun. I was way indulgent on this, so I appreciate you guys going with me a couple times, going way beyond what I actually understand. Uh, but it's stuff that I'm super, super excited about. So thank you for joining and for being wonderfully indulgent. Watch the Bob Hariri episode if you haven't already. The dude is amazing. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.